to the Damascus Road podcast. On the road to Damascus, Paul had a radical encounter with Jesus and his life was changed forever. That is what we hope and pray for here. Now, on to this week's episode. So, um, many of you may know this, many of you may not. I know we have some guests here this morning, and I talked about this a little bit last time when I was up here speaking just a little bit before Christmas. But I recently found myself in the unenvious position of being laid off from my job. Well, I'm happy to report that uh, since I had a two-month notice that my job was going to come in, I was able to interview, and I found a job, and I was only unemployed for about a week at the beginning of the year. And that is a huge, huge blessing. Praise God on that. As anyone who has done it knows, applying, interviewing, and finding a job is stressful and taxing. Uh, And I'm incredibly grateful that God has provided for me and my family. So I started this new job a couple of weeks ago, and I actually returned to an old company in which I had worked uh, previously, but in a different role than I was there before. Uh, Side note, a life pro tip to all you young folks out there and even you non-young folks out there, do everything in your power to not burn bridges with employers. You never know when you might have to call upon them sometime in the future. And I, I am living proof that that is, is hugely important. Not always the case, but if you can control that, that's my suggestion to you. So I kept in touch with a lot of people that I had worked at with there before. So it's been really comfortable going back into this work but having a different role than what I did there before, I'm having to do a lot of training. Having worked there before, I have some baseline knowledge of my new job, but uh, there's still a lot to learn. And of course, employers want you to learn it as quickly as humanly possible, sometimes quicker. This means my days have been pretty packed and pretty busy. It's all good stuff and I'm enjoying what I'm learning, but when I get home after a long day, I find that I don't have that much energy left. I don't feel like I have the brain power to do much more than just hang out on the couch and unwind. Now, while I'm sitting on the couch, I'm usually not just sitting there staring blankly into space. That happens sometimes, but is not the norm. Usually, I'm pairing my relaxing with another activity. Maybe it's watching football, as I will be doing this afternoon. Maybe it's catching up on some TV shows with Erica after Kaylin goes to bed. Maybe it's watching a movie that I haven't seen yet. Or maybe it's playing a fierce game of Uno with Kaylin that those tend to break out every once in a while. But there's one activity I like to pair with my relaxing on the couch, and that's listening to music. If you know me, if you've met me before, you know I love music. And while digital music and streaming is super convenient, I still love physical media. I love being able to hold the artwork in my hands and peruse the liner notes, look at lyrics, And this, along with what I consider the superior audio quality, is why I collect vinyl. It's an experience, yes. It's an experience unlike any other to me. There's something very soothing to me about starting up the record spinning, cleaning it, dropping the needle. You hear those first couple crackles pop through the speaker, and then the notes of the song start, and the sound just washes over you. It's awesome. For the uninitiated, if you've never had the pleasure of spinning a record, a real vinyl, here's a little taste of what that is like.
<laughs> no, I agree. I agree, Rebecca. It needs to be louder. If you were in my living room yesterday when I recorded that, it was much louder. And the sound, the audio coming through a video like that does not do us justice. When some sound comes blaring out, oh man, there's nothing like some Led Zeppelin coming through on vinyl. It is just awesome. I may seem a little crazy to you. This may seem simple. This may seem mundane. This may seem trivial to you. But to me, it's my little piece of heaven. I would imagine and I hope that each and every one of you have something like this in your life, some seemingly small and inconsequential activity that you do that you really enjoy and that it breathes new life into you. Perhaps it's something like sipping on a nice cup of tea or making a nice cup of coffee. Maybe it's baking or preparing a meal for your friends or family. Maybe it's that feeling you get when you slide a brand new game cartridge into your Nintendo Switch. But how often do we actually get to enjoy these things in our life and allow them to be really significant? I know I don't get to just sit and listen to vinyl as much as I would like to. Sure, I haven't felt like I've had that much brain power coming home from work the past couple of weeks, but that doesn't mean I haven't had to muster up some energy and muster up some sort of brain function. There's always dinners to prepare, homework to help with, bills to pay, projects to do around the house. The past couple of weeks, there's been this message to write. Sure, I could do all of those things, while having a record playing in the background, but it isn't the same as giving it my full undivided attention. Because life is busy, and we can often make it busier than it needs to be. And this busyness dulls our sense of wonder and awe that God places in our everyday lives and in our everyday activities. As busy, practical, hurried, and distracted people, we develop habits of inattention and miss the tiny glimpses of God around us. What can God teach us about the small, simple beauties that exist around us? What are the everyday things that God takes delight in? How can we start cultivating our eyes to see and savor the small pleasures and the blessings in our days? How can we be fully alive and whole where no pleasure is too ordinary or commonplace to stir up adoration? How can we find beauty in something as simple as drinking tea? This morning is the third week in our series, Liturgy of the Ordinary. Uh, we are looking at all the overlooked and maybe routine moments in our days and how we can find God's presence in surprising ways. Our daily routines and our habits form us and shape us into the people we will become, or in some cases, people we have become. As Ryan spoiled a little bit earlier, admittedly, I do find it a bit ironic that I'm talking this morning when the topic is drinking tea. I do not drink tea. Well, you might say, Dave, coffee is similar. It's a similar hot beverage. You, you drink, must drink coffee, right? I can, I can connect that in my mind. I can trust you with this knowledge if you drink coffee, but you don't drink tea. Well, I don't drink coffee either. Sands, tons of creamer and even more sugar. I don't really like the taste of coffee. And how do I put this as delicately as possible? Tea does not agree with my digestive system, so I don't really drink it. But a lot of people speak very highly of tea. Late 1800s, 1800s British statesman and politician, William Ewart Gladstone, glowingly described tea in this way. If you are cold, tea will warm you. If you are too heated, it will cool you. If you are depressed, it will cheer you. If you are excited, it will calm you. That is quite the endorsement of tea. Kind of, me kind of makes me think old Willie boy was in the pocket of a big tea. 
Now, while I said I don't drink tea for said fun digestive reasons, Erica drinks tea every morning. And since we are married, the Bible says we are one. So by proxy, you can consider me an extrovert on drinking tea this morning. But as I've alluded to a little bit, and as you may have guessed, we're talking about more than just merely drinking a cup of tea. Drinking and drinking tea is a fairly inconsequential task, right? It's just a beverage. I don't, I don't ever really remember or I'm never really wowed by the beverages that I consume. I enjoy them and I find them pleasing in the moment, but it, a nice drink is never a major mile marker when I look back on my life. When we look back on our lives, we tend to focus and remember the big moments and how those have defined us. But the truth of the matter is, our lives are made up of many, many more small, seemingly inconsequential moments. And how we interact with those moments can be just as impactful as the big moments we tend to remember. It is possible to find just as much joy from something as simple as drinking tea as it is from our major life events. But we have to figure out how to find pleasure in these moments and how to worship God through enjoying them. And it's tough because we get mixed messages every day. We get conflicting messages every day. Our culture's relationship with pleasure is pretty complex. Our culture, our, <clears throat> our culture seems to be obsessed with pleasure. We overindulge and we overeat. We are addicted to amusement and we're constantly overwhelmed by images and messages of sex and violence. In our consumerist society, we spend endless energy and we spend endless money seeking pleasure, but we are never satiated. Ironically, greed and consumerism dull our delight. The more we indulge, the less pleasure we find. Even workaholism and constant connectivity fight against our ability to be present to the pleasure of the moment. And because of this, the church often tries to combat this but it gets the reputation of heading too far in the other direction. The church often has a reputation that is anti-pleasure. We're supposed to be bland and dull people, right? We're not supposed to find joy and humor. We're supposed to feel guilty for having fun and doing anything that you enjoy. And heaven forbid Christians view sex as anything other than something that uh, is for procreation, right? There's no pleasure there, right? That's, these are the messages, the stereotypes we have. Many character, characterized Christians in the same way H.L. Mencken ironically described Puritans many years ago as a people with a haunting fear that someone somewhere might be happy. It's silly, but it's kind of true. That's a stereotype Christians often have. But in reality, the church has led the way in the art of enjoyment and pleasure because pleasure ultimately points us back to God, the creator of all that is good and beautiful. In Genesis 1, after God finishes each of his creative works, he declares all of his creations good and gives us free reign to enjoy all of its goodness. This is just one example of the many creations God made in Genesis. Then God said, let the land sprout out with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant, and the trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. And that is what happened. The land produced vegetation, all sorts of seed-bearing plants and trees of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. 
after each step of creation, God pauses and he takes pleasure in his creation, and we should too. Every time we take a hike in the beauty of Mount Lemon, smell a blooming flower, or bite into a fresh, juicy peach, we are actively engaging with the things God has created and calls good. And when we experience the goodness and the pleasure God gives us, it also gives us insight to his character. There are new flavors to await us and to change us, and familiar ones to give us comfort and remind us of our identity in Jesus. David tells us in the Psalms to taste and see that the Lord is good, not just simply to declare that God is good or to reason with our minds that God is good, but to taste it. God gives us permission and implores us through our senses to learn of God's goodness, to taste, hear, feel, see, smell that God is good. This provides pleasure in all that God has created and provides. Author Tish Harrison Warren, who wrote the book Liturgy of the Ordinary that this uh, series is based on, describes it in this way. Pleasure is our deep human response to an encounter with beauty and goodness. In these moments of pleasure, of delight, enjoyment, awe, and revelry, we respond to God impulsively with our bodies. Yes, we agree, your creation is very good. The author of Ecclesiastes, at the end of his long journey attempting to discover the meaning of life and what is ultimately worth pursuing, agrees and comes to the same conclusion as Tish Harris Warren and Genesis come to, that God's creation is good and it is good to enjoy it. So I decided there is nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. And I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of God. As I mentioned a little bit earlier, many of us, when thinking about pleasures or something that we enjoy, something that is good, we think about the big things in our life. The extravagant vacation to Hawaii, a trip to Disneyland, a great concert that we went to. But when God created pleasures to enjoy, it wasn't isolated to one-time big events. God said that his creation, everything we exist in, our every day, is good. And when the author of Ecclesiastes talked about the pleasures at the hand of God, he doesn't man mention the giant palaces or epic travels, which were both at his disposal at the time as he was the richest king on earth at the time. Heck, he doesn't even mention a Lady Gaga stadium show. But instead, he mentions seemingly mundane pleasures, eating and drinking. The pleasures and goodness of God aren't found only in the big explosive life events, but rather all around us, every day. Take for instance, coffee. Coffee a little bit earlier. Raise your hand, how many here enjoy a nice cup of coffee? Good majority of you. Whether it's first thing in the morning or after dinner or to relax in the afternoon, Many of you here enjoy the delights where you can just sit and take time and sip from your cup of coffee. Well, New Testament scholar Ben Witherington points out that it was actually the church, not Starbucks, that created the coffee culture that we know so well today. Coffee was first invented by Ethiopian monks, and the term cappuccino actually refers to the shade of brown used for the habits or the clothing of the Capuchin monks of Italy. 
Coffee is born of extravagance, an extravagant God who formed an extravagant people, who formed a craft of the pleasures of roasted beans and frothed milk. Now, I've already admitted that I am not much of a coffee or tea drinker, and you may or may not be too, but I think we all know someone who is really into one or the other, someone who really loves tea or someone who really loves coffee, right? And people who are like this, they have very specific tastes, likes and dislikes. They all have their very specific idea of what the perfect cup of tea or the perfect cup of coffee is. They're picky. That's really what I'm trying to say is that they're picky. I could be nicer, I'll, I'll rephrase that. Uh, they're particular, they're very particular about their coffee or their tea. That's not a bad thing. We are all created with our own tastes. There are hundreds of different types of tea and there are millions of different kinds of roasts of coffee. Or that may be the other way around. Maybe there's millions of types of teas, coffee. I don't know, I'm not familiar. You can feel free to correct me if I'm wrong on this. We all relate uniquely to different foods, drinks, music, movies, etc. The things I like are different than the things you like. And that is something to be celebrated. And no matter what it is, it all funnels back into how we each individually connect to God. It's beautiful that God does not require our relationships with him to look the same. And thus, the pleasures and joys he provides us can look very different. Erica, my lovely wife, loves to get up in the morning, make herself some tea, read a book, and ease herself into the day. Then at night, she's early to bed so she can be refreshed and, and repeat this routine every morning. That's great, but that is not my way. I hit snooze like a million times. I get up at the very last minute I can, shower and dress real quick, grab my things, grab my food, eat my uh, breakfast in the car on the way to work. And then at night, when I get home, I like to take my time to unwind and decompress. Um, sometimes I do my unwinding by often spinning a new record that I uh, had just, just picking up or watching a TV show that I, I'm getting into. And this process usually goes way later in the night than after Erica's already in bed, or at least asleep on the couch. Um, and that's fine. It, neither is wrong, and they both work for us, as long as we are both using those moments in our days to recognize and take pleasure in what God is providing for us in those moments. We revel in those moments for ourselves, and mysteriously and wondrously, God revels even more than we do in the slight bitterness of tea, in the feeling of sunshine on the skin, in a ripe avocado, a perfect guitar lick, or a well-written plot twist. In C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters, the senior demon Screwtape scolds his underling for allowing his patient the smallest experience of pleasure, a walk in a beautiful place, tea, or a good book which he reads because he enjoyed it and not in order to make clever remarks to his friends. Both in pleasure and pain, Screwtape says, are unmistakably real, and therefore, they give the man who feels them a touchstone of reality. He diabolically warns that people should not be allowed to maintain any personal taste, even if it is something quite trivial as the fondness for country crickets or collecting stamps or drinking cocoa. Through small practices of enjoyment may seem trivial, but the demon sees in them a sort of innocence and humility and self-forgetfulness. God pleasures 
to point, God gives us pleasures to point back to him, to illustrate his goodness and delight both, and his delight both in us and everything that he has created. And these are all the things that the enemy and demon-like screw tape would like to distract us from. G.K. Chesterton saw this sort of innocence that uh, Screwtape mentions, and he saw this in God, and he likened it to the childlike wonder. Children never tire of beauty and pleasure. They embrace enjoyment with a reckless abandon. Where we might find guilt in taking time to spend a few minutes with our own little pleasures, to a child, there's always time. There's always time to go hunting for rocks or leaves, to invent a new game, or to savor a special treat. Chesterton imagines that God revels in the pleasure of his creation like an enthusiastic child. As children have an abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again, and the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. I'm a parent, that is 100% true. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony, but perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. But perhaps God is, uh, it is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It, is not, it may not be automatic necessity that makes all the daisies alike. It may be that God makes daisies, every daisy separately, but has never gotten tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite for infancy. For we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. I think that's beautiful. We have sinned, and we have all grown older. We find ourselves with less and less time to enjoy the simple pleasures of life. At some point, we've gotten this childlike joy kind of snuffed out of us. Or maybe we're told it's no longer necessary or it's no longer practical. As I think about this, I'm ashamed to admit that I often find myself dimming this light of joy out of my own daughter. Come on, we've got something to do. Hurry up, finish your dinner. No, we don't have time to waste on that. Just this last Friday, taking her to her grandparents before school, she wanted to do something. I was in a hurry, probably for no reason, and I did the same thing. While saying these things out loud and recognizing my own shortcomings in this area, and help but reminded of a story from the Gospels where someone just sits and delights and takes joy in being with God. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume and poured it over his head. The disciples were indignant when they saw this. What a waste, they said. It could have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said, replied, Why criticize this woman for doing such good, a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. She has poured this perfume on me to prepare my body for burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. And remember this woman is, for this account is featured in three out of the four Gospels. She recognizes the beauty of the moment she is in, right then, right there, with Jesus in her midst. 
She uses her expensive perfume to anoint Jesus and to honor God's goodness and beauty and his presence there with her. Everyone else thinks it's foolish and wasteful, but Jesus rebukes them and he affirms her act. He applauds her for the use of such a fine item and knows it serves a greater purpose than just being what some deem an expensive commodity. It's not the grandest of gestures, sure, but is what she had to offer to God in that moment. And I'm sure that rich aroma of perfume undoubtedly filled that house, creating a pleasing scent for all who were there, just as Jesus' presence enriched the lives and the souls of those who were present that day. And as often happened with the disciples, they didn't recognize what was happening in the moment, but that woman did. And likewise, if we don't take the time to notice and appreciate the small things in this world, we can miss God right in front of us. To be able to fully relish in these daily pleasures that God gives us, we must cultivate joy. Now, it may not seem like it. I think it's a shame we don't often talk about this, but joy is one of the primary jobs, one of our primary jobs as Christians. Jesus' teaching is never about rules or restrictions, but it's about having a heart and a life that beats in rhythm with God and produces joy in spite of whatever circumstances we might be in. I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow, Jesus said. And Paul also backs this up and commands us to be joyful. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. So how can you cultivate joy in your life? One of the ways is to enjoy the beauty and wonder in this world that we live in and the joys that can be found here on earth. But I know life is hard. It beats us down. And joy is not often a switch that we can just turn on. Don't be discouraged if you're not all of a sudden joyful, even if you want to be. That's okay. Know that all you can do is start where you are. Though it might seem kind of counterintuitive, enjoyment takes practice. We have to train our eyes, our minds, and our hearts to notice and appreciate the goodness that God has placed all around us. Again, C.S. Lewis wrote in another book that he once thought he had to start by summoning up what we believe about the goodness and greatness of God by thinking about the creation and redemption and all the blessings of this life. Instead, he says we ought to begin with just the simple pleasures we have at hand. For him, it was walking beside a babbling brook. For me, it's dropping the needle on a record. For you, it might be the 20 minutes you have before your roommates or your family wake up that you get just to sit alone in silence and drink your coffee or your tea. As I mentioned earlier, again, our daily lives aren't built up of tons of wow moments. They're made up of small and simple moments. Sometimes we have to go out of our way to recognize and appreciate small pleasures. So I have a little exercise I want us to try this week, and I left my median over here because when I went to come up here, my uh, iPad had logged me out of uh, my Google Docs and, and I wasn't connected to the internet, so I got flustered because I wanted to be able to tell you all these nice things this morning. And I left this over here. I meant to bring this up. 
Anyways, if you, you should have gotten one of the meetings when you walked in this morning. Did anybody not get one? If you didn't, you raise hand. Uh, Andrew, I need one down here. I think Dana's gonna pass, has a couple pass out. Um, just raise your hand, keep them up. If you didn't get one, we'll get one to you. So this is our weekly worship folder inside. If you open it up, you see we got this little card with our events for the semester. We have some announcements in there, communication card, which I'll talk about here in a, in a little bit. And then there's this half sheet right here. Now on the top, as you can see, this is a pleasure and joy inventory. Below there are five, five rows and then there are three columns. Each of the five rows is marked for one of the next five days of the week. My challenge to you this week is to take a few moments at the end of each day and look back and identify three joys and pleasures that you experienced in each of the days of the, of the next week. I didn't include Saturday and Sunday, feel free. You can go out of the back if you wanna keep doing this. I think it's a great exercise. Um, but I didn't want to give you extra homework on the weekend, so I just went with the next five days. Um, I wholeheartedly believe that no matter how our day goes, if it's a great day, if it's a really crummy day, if it's just an okay day, if it's a not great day, I wholeheartedly believe that there will be at least three things, if we honestly look back on our day, that we can write in on here for each day and we can find the joys and the pleasures that we have experienced by the grace of God's goodness. So focus your eyes and your energy on the good and the beautiful in this world and the life that you've been given. Let this recognition lead you to gratitude and cultivating a heart that is consistently bent towards thankfulness and worship of God for all the things that he has done for you and all that he has created for you. Two years ago when I was still in college, so you know this was a really, really long time ago, I was in the middle of a three hour drive home for a weekend. While on the road, a huge storm broke out. We're talking torrential downpour, as bad if not worse than any monsoon, massive amounts of thunder and lightning, hardly able to see the road with the windshield wipers glowing full speed. I was kind of in the middle of nowhere and there wasn't really a good place to pull off and wait for the storm to pass. There was also no guarantee that I wasn't also just driving the same way that storm was traveling and I wouldn't, would just catch up with it again. So I drove as carefully as I could. And as I slowly continued to make my way home, I began to notice something that I had never noticed before. As I'm driving on the highway, I would periodically go under an overpass. And I began to notice this beautiful brief half second of respite from the storm as I went under each underpass, overpass. It was like God was giving me these little moments to take a breath, to exhale, and to release a little bit of stress that I was feeling from driving in such a crazy storm. I began to cling to these brief moments, these beautiful moments where I was sheltered from the barrage just for one second. There was silence and there was peace going under each of these overpasses. It was God teaching me that there is beauty and there is love and there is hope in such a normal everyday occurrence. It became peaceful and joyful to experience those brief moments every couple of miles. And I took pleasure in its simplicity. 
even though I don't get the chance to drive through as many big storms living here in Arizona as I did back when I lived in the Midwest, I still live for the chance to drive in rain. So I have the opportunity to experience one of my favorite beauties this life has to offer me. And when I get to experience those respites from a storm on the highway, I remember all those other moments and experiences God has revealed to, God has used to reveal himself to me and show me, play, show me all the beauty in places where I didn't expect to find him. These moments of loveliness and beauty, whether a brief respite from a storm, dropping a needle on a record, or simply enjoying a nice cup of tea, are like church bells ringing out from a cathedral. They jolt us into attention and remind us that God and Christ are in our midst. They're like his song of truth sung by people all over the world, echoing in our cars, at our work, in our living rooms, at our kitchen tables, and everywhere around us every day. We need this kind of embodied beauty and we need it in our ordinary day to remind us to take notice of God and Jesus right where we are. Let's take steps this week to begin to fully enjoy the moments, pleasure, joy, and adoration that God puts in our lives daily. God is always present with us. He delights in us and he delights in showing us his goodness and his goodness abounds so richly around us. Let's train our eyes, our minds, our hearts, and our souls to see the beauty and rejoice with God. Thank you for joining the Damascus Road podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus together by being with God, loving everyone, transforming people, developing leaders, growing new ministries, and changing the world. You can find out more about us online at damascusroadtucson.com.